Okay, well, good morning, everyone. Um, I uh, am looking forward uh, to today. I think probably this message, I'm preaching more to myself than I'm preaching to anybody else. I hope you'll uh, come with me on the journey. Um, For those that don't know me, my name's Bob. I'm one of the the leaders here. Uh, Steve, who leads the team, isn't with us today, but we bless him as he has time uh, with his family and uh, as he has a bit of time away. Um, I always think when I preach, if I can do something slightly different for everybody, that's good. So there may be just one or two things that are slightly different, just to, you know, not have things exactly the same for everybody all the time. Um, But I hope that you will come with me on this uh, kind of journey. Uh, We're doing a series on uh, the wisdom books. So that's things like Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and some in Psalms as well. And uh, it always means that they're they're interesting things to preach on. Um, As Steve's not here, um, I'm not going to say anything against that wonderful man. Um, But it is interesting that the verse that I've got can have more than one interpretation, shall we say. Um, Not saying anything about wonderful Steve. If you're listening, Steve, I respect you, and I honour you, and I love working with you, and I wouldn't ever say anything against you at all. But uh, we're going to look at uh, the one verse uh, which is all to do with, it's uh, Ecclesiastes 4, and we're going to get to verse 6. But I'm going to read the passage beforehand. Um, It may give some useful context. It may not. Um, It may not be the most cheerful verses you have ever read in your life. Um, But hopefully, as we want to look at the whole counsel of God, we don't want to just dismiss part of it because we think, oh, maybe we could listen to something a bit more cheerful. So I'm going to read, I'm going to start uh, from Ecclesiastes 4, and I'm going to start from verse 1. Again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun, and behold, the tears of the oppressed, and they had no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors there was power, and there was no one to comfort them. And I thought the dead, who were already dead, more fortunate than the living who were still alive. You can tell this is a very encouraging verse, isn't it? Yeah? For just from the, I know I've stopped halfway through, but the context, obviously, this is traditionally from Solomon at the end of his life. And you would say that he's, he, yes, he's reflective, he's got some wisdom there, but he's not maybe saying it in the most positive way. But we're happy with that. Um, but better than both is he who has not yet been and has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. Then I saw that all toil and all skill in work came from man's envy of his neighbor. This also is vanity and striving after the wind, getting more cheerful as we go through. The fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. It's what it says. I'm just reading from the Bible. The fool folds his hand and eats his own flesh. Um, Better is a handful of quietness than two hands full of toil and a striving after the wind. Again, I saw vanity under the sun. One person who has no other, either a son or a brother, and yet there is no end to all his toil. And his eyes are ever satisfied with riches, So that he never asks, for whom I am toiling 
and depriving myself of pleasure. This is also vanity and an unhappy business. Hmm. Okay. So we are going to mine these verses and we are going to get the gems that are there for us today. Yes? We're going to do that together. And we're going to focus on better is a handful of quietness than two hands full of toil and a striving after the wind. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the whole Bible. Lord, we thank you for the counsel that has been brought down to us over thousands of years and provided life and goodness and truth and that sense of eternity. We thank you that in your word there is redemption, there is salvation, and that there is hope. And we just want to commit this morning to you, Lord, that you will do good to us, you will warm our hearts, and you will speak to us. Amen. So, let's have a look at this verse, shall we? Better is a handful of quietness than two hands full of toil and striving after the wind. Having looked at this verse, it can be taken very clearly in two ways. Let me show you what I mean. Because the verse before is about the fool. And often in Ecclesiastes and in a number of the wisdom books, you have this, the author, in this case Solomon, and he's reflecting on the fool. So you've got the good and the bad, the wise and the not wise. And the verse before says about the fool. The fool folds his hands. So it could be that actually this verse is said by the fool. So the fool says... Better is a handful of quietness than two hands full of toil. So it turns it round. And it's talking, possibly, about laziness. It's saying, oh, it's better than I don't do anything. That I just sit here and enjoy myself and let other people do the work. And that's actually reflected in verse 5. Because it's got the fool folds his hands and then eats his own flesh. Now, I don't want to go that in too much detail or get your minds going too much about that. But in my mind, that is, they're hungry because they haven't worked. They're lazy. They're hungry. They haven't worked. Let's not go too much about eating your own flesh. The other way of looking at this verse, and we can turn it round, is actually it's a challenge to the fool. It's a balance to what the fool said. In other words, 
the balance would be it's important to be quiet and not have our hands full of toil all the time and striving after the wind. And there's that two ways. And if you look at verses in Proverbs and in Ecclesiastes, you find both said. Because in different situations, both are true. And actually, for us, both are true. It's the same thing, but said to different audiences and said in different ways. Hmm. Okay, let me go through this a little bit. In Psalm 50, oh sorry, Proverbs 15, verse 16, it says this. Better is a little fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. It's better just to stop and have fear in the Lord than great trouble because of all your busyness and wanting wealth and treasure. But Proverbs 18, verse 9 says, whoever is slack in his work is a brother to him who destroys. You don't want to be slack in your work. So it says both. So I was then sitting there preparing and saying, what do I say? I could say anything from here, couldn't I? I could go in whatever direction I want. And so then, quietly before the Lord, I said, what about us, Lord? What about the people here at Beacon, those in Herne Bay? Is it that we have a lazy lot? Or do we have a lot that actually just need to be still and quiet before God? And you can probably tell from the title that I gave it, and from that minute I gave, it was only a minute after I prayed, that that's where I sense God is speaking from this verse, for us to be quiet before God. I don't know how you felt in that minute. It was only a minute. Were you focusing on God, or were you thinking, my word, what are we going to have for dinner? I wonder if the children are behaving themselves. Really got a burden for my sister, my brother. Maybe you were focusing on, I don't know, the noise. It was funny, the noise, isn't it? You suddenly hear the noise of the things and a little bit of noise from the kids, only a little bit, so it's got to be going well in there. But you suddenly focus on a little bit, things a little bit differently. I um, feel that we're in a busy world. I went for a run last night. Foolish me, because it was raining. It was raining very hard, but I decided I'd go anyway. And when I run, I often find that I just stop worrying, thinking, pursuing, working, and I just run. And there, it was, still wasn't quiet, because we had the rain coming down. We had the cars going past not always very sensitively to a runner, if you don't mind me saying so, cars coming past. There were all sorts of things going on, but I still find myself just quietening down and thinking about God. And there's just one or two things I say, I must admit, when I run. It's mainly huffing and puffing. There's not much I can say, but I can just say Jesus. And I say Jesus quite a lot when I'm huffing and puffing and running around. I think you're getting the view of it as I'm getting wet and soaking last night. But for me, that's really, really important to be able to quieten myself down. And those that know my, my job will know how much I'm speaking to myself. Erlin Kagger, I'm saying that because I'm not exactly sure of how to say his name. In his book, 
Uh, he, he writes a book called Silence in the Age of Noise. He's an explorer. He's not somebody that I would say has a particularly Christian faith, but there's no doubt he has a sense of eternity. I mean, just to give you an example of what he's like, he went to cross the Antarctic to go from the edge to the South Pole, and he wanted to be alone for those 30 days. But his organisation insisted he took a radio with him for insurance purposes, so he said, yes, I'll take my radio. But as he got out of the plane, he took the batteries out and left them there. So he just went, he took the radio, he did what he was supposed to do. So he was silent and a little bit dangerous, if you don't mind me saying so, for those 30 days, because he finds that. And this, so he's somebody that knows a bit about silence. He says this, we live in an age of noise. Silence is almost extinct. It's true, isn't it? It's almost extinct, silence. And actually, I'm not always talking about the external silence, because almost inside, we're almost never really silent, are we? We just keep going and thinking. The other thing he said, and uh, I don't know if you've heard it before, but it makes me amused every time I say it. He, he said that humans lose concentration every eight seconds. And goldfish can concentrate for nine. <laughs> and I don't know, I mean, apart from that astonishing comment on our society, I'm also wondering about who was researching goldfish. You know, you can just imagine, oh, my, my, my daughter, I'm really pleased with you. You're doing research at University of Kent. Wonderful. What are you doing research on? Goldfish. Oh, and what are you doing with goldfish? I'm researching how long they concentrate. How do you know when a goldfish is concentrating? You know, that's all they do. You know, did they put kind of things on the side of the goldfish? What, what did they do to work out when... They... But actually, the deeper point of this is we have lost our ability to concentrate. Through the modern era, we have really lost it. And therefore, we've lost our ability to concentrate on Jesus and to concentrate on eternal things. We just can't do it. Interestingly, this isn't just a problem of our generation, although I think it's more a problem of our generation than any other. Uh, Blaise Pascal, mathematician, scientist, and great defender of Christianity in the 1600s, said this, all of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. That's quite something, isn't it? Blaise Pascal. And St. Augustine said this, entering silence is entering into joy. We don't always feel that, do we? Somehow we think of silence as failure or not doing enough, don't we? But actually, St. Augustine was saying, entering silence is entering into joy. You see, most of us live in a busy world, a world of busyness or overwork or other things we do. I'm just looking at Paul at this stage. Most of us live in that, and we have a feeling that we need to keep going. The, the most common thing that somebody ever says to me when they've just retired is, how did I ever have the time to work? But we have, we live in a life of business, because you've got to look after your children well, haven't you? 
You've got to be a good parent, and you've got to be seen to be a good parent, which means you've got to give them time. You've also got to look after your parents, often, or your siblings. There's an awful lot to do. And you've got to check your messages. You don't want to be one of those people who never checks their messages. And they said, can you believe it? I messaged them ages ago. But they just never respond. You've got to please everybody, haven't you? You've got to make sure that your life is about pleasing other people. We've got to work hard, haven't we? We want to honour pieces in work. We've got to make sure we keep working hard and that we are successful. And we've got to be those people who have something to say about this weekend. To say, oh, I had a wonderful weekend. You see, on Saturday night I did this. And on Friday night I did this. And I had an amazing barbecue with a thousand people who came round. Because we've got to show that we are impressive. Because actually the word busy in our society often just means, I think I'm important. I'm too busy, you see. I'm very busy. How are you? Oh, I'm busy. We need to keep going because life is short. We need to get to places early. We don't want to be late because we're often late and therefore we've got to try and get there. And the last thing we want to do is to miss out, isn't it? We really don't want to miss out because life is short. We've got to make sure that we don't miss out. And maybe, and maybe I shouldn't say this, we then have serving at church and we've got to do that as well. Which is great and don't stop doing it. But it does add to our feeling of life. And the question is, that this verse asks is, are you chasing after the wind? Are you chasing after the wind? And in terms of redeeming those feelings a little bit, I'm now just going to go through a few verses in Scripture that talk about us quietening down, focusing on eternity, thinking about Jesus more than worrying about life. Start in Proverbs. Proverbs 14.30. A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. Do you know, it's not just about being quiet in outside, silent. It's about having quiet inside so that our hearts are right. So we're genuinely checking our hearts, that we have the right attitudes and allowing God to do that. Psalm 39 verse 9, I am mute. I do not open my mouth for you have done it. And when we're thinking about eternal ideas of salvation, that Jesus has saved us, we've got to sometimes just be quiet and be there in awe and wonder, rather than saying, yep, he saved me from my sins, I'm going to eternity, right, what's for dinner? We've got to stop and consider. Isaiah 30, verse 15, said this, For thus saith the Lord of Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest you shall be saved. In quietness and trust shall be your strength. Which is usually where we finish it, don't we? And the next part is, but you were unwilling. Interesting. Even in that time, they were unwilling to be quiet and trust in the Lord. Are you? Are you unwilling to rest 
and to listen to God. As I say, I'm speaking more to myself this morning, I know, than anybody else in here. And then we're looking through to the Gospels and Jesus and how he lived. Matthew 14, verse 13. Now, when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. But Jesus, busy in ministry, withdrew to a desolate place. Why? To spend time with his father, to pray. I mean, he needed to pray, boy, do we. If he needed to be quiet, we really do. And then Luke 5, 16, kind of following on this theme, but he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. So it was more than once. He regularly did it. People have investigated, say, maybe six or eight times in the Gospels. Jesus withdrew to desolate places. He kept doing it. He kept withdrawing. And if he's our model, do we withdraw to quiet places? Do we give that time? Whatever time we have. And then Psalm 46, verse 10, which I'm sure you thought I'd get to. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And something I didn't never seen about this verse is it's a command, isn't it? It doesn't say if you want to, or perhaps, or on Thursday, or I don't know, at a certain time of your life, it says, be still, people. Be still and know that I am God. It seems to me to be a command, which is quite a challenge. So there's the encouragement from Scripture, to be still and know that he is God. There's the example of Jesus, and there's some of the reasons why we should do that. But I'm going to give you some more reasons why we should have times when we are still and when we are silent before God. And this comes from uh, John Mark Comer's fantastic book that many of you will have, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And there's a picture of John Mark Comer in one of his younger days up on there. Um, and he says, these are the signs and symptoms of a life without silence and solitude. And these are really interesting. Really challenged, I felt. Because they are the consequences of not being still and know that we are God. Really interesting. He says this, we feel distant from God and end up living off somebody else's spirituality. By a podcast feed or a book or a one-page devotional, we read before we rush out the door to work. We feel distant from ourselves. We lose sight of our identities and callings. We get sucked into the tyranny of the urgent and not the important. We feel an undercurrent of anxiety that rarely, if ever, goes away. This sense that we're always behind and always playing catch-up. And then we turn to our escapes of choice. We run out of energy to do what's actually life-giving to our souls, say prayer. And instead we turn to, fit, to the cheap fix, another glass of wine, another show streaming online, our social media feeds or porn. Then emotional unhealth sets in. We start living from the surface of our lives and not the core. We're reactionary. 
The smallest thing is a trigger, a throwaway line from a boss, a snide comment from a co-worker, a suggestion from a spouse or a roommate. It doesn't take much. We lose our tempers, bark at our kids, get defensive, sulk, feel angry or sad, or often both. And we do know, don't we, that we don't, when we don't spend time with God, our character is not as it should be. But this is not to make anybody feel um, down, although I can see maybe um, one or two faces now. But it is quite reflective, isn't it, of the way that Solomon was talking about it. So for the next part of this, what I'm going to try and do is to talk through some suggestions, some positive things. And you may look at one or two of these and say, thank you, Bob, that may be great for you, but it's not for me. But I hope there are others that come out. The first one of these is to sense the depth of the gospel and that it, it requires our immediate attention. Sometimes when I read the Bible, I'm reading it because I want information. And I've talked before, haven't I, about reading it meditatively to allow the truths to sink in. You may know them, but to allow them to sink in. So let's just have a second of quiet, and I'm going to read one of the giant um, passages in Scripture, the whole of Scripture's chart, but one of the giant passages. And just allow it to feed in and to feed your souls. I'm reading from Ephesians 2, verse 3 to 6. Starts halfway through a sentence. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. amazing isn't it just reading scripture out silently the impact it has one of the things Andrew and I have uh, started to do particularly and I'll come to them in a minute particularly after um, reading about some of the Celtic saints and how they um, uh, in the in the 600s how they planned their lives is we try now at every dinner time we are quiet at the beginning we obviously may have prayed or often prayed and then we play a psalm. Haven't got to Psalm 119 yet because the food would get cold. But we're sitting down and we, sit, we actually start eating. But we just play a psalm. And sometimes with the busyness of life we may not catch it all. But we catch one or two truths. And we're trying to do that each time. Even when we've got people visiting, which is always interesting. What are you going to do now? We're going to listen to psalm. Oh, are you? Yes. But we try and do that just to give a moment in our day in order to do that. You see, I think it's really important that we define the shape of our life. And for parents, that we define the shape of our lives, but also our children's lives. That they feel that a time to stop, which for them may only be seconds, and consider God, 
is important, that consider our salvation, that consider that we've been made alive with Christ. As I've said a little bit, the ancient Celts, uh, the great um, missionaries that came over from Ireland in the 600s have really inspired me recently. Um, And I'm just going to talk a little bit about the way they use silence for my next suggestion or next idea. And this comes from uh, a Presbyterian minister who's researched them. The great Celts, she says, used to spend time in three things, manual work, study and prayer. And that prayer was often for long parts of the day. Manual work, study, and prayer. An aspect of Celtic Christianity, of Celtic Christian community, which may seem unusual to us, is their embrace of silence. Silence was an important discipline in Celtic monastic tradition. And that tradition influenced everyday life outside the monasteries. We may find it easy to believe that communities always involved a lot of communication. The Celts embraced silence as a form of communication with God that forms one of the foundations of their community life. And in those monastic communities where there was huge persecution, they often, at a meal table, didn't speak, but somebody read scripture to them. And that's where I've taken that idea from, just to read scripture and to listen to it. One of the ways in which we have also tried to shape our lives, and this um, really is an idea from from Andrea, um, and it's something we've tried to draw in recently, uh, is to go to Canterbury Cathedral. We're privileged to live in Canterbury. So we go to Canterbury Cathedral on a Saturday, and if you go down to the crypt, it's supposed to be a quiet place. Well, with a lot of the tourists there, it's not quiet, but it's quietish. And there, you've got some, I mean, some of the things that are in Canterbury Cathedral don't necessarily make me think peaceful thoughts, um, because there are all sorts of of styles and icons and things. But in the bottom, there is a, uh, 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 one of the little places at the side, one of the little, I don't know what you call it, there's where the Huguenots um, were kicked out of their country in the 1600s. They were persecuted, kicked out there, and Canterbury Cathedral gave them a little place where they could worship. Just the few of them that came over that survived from that. And so we go down there to one of the little chapels. We can't get into that one. And we just are quiet. We did that again yesterday. I think we were there for about 40 minutes, just quiet. We made a decision. Now, I know not everybody has that opportunity, but just to go somewhere that is peaceful, One of the great Celts, Cuthbert, the only way of him getting any peace, because everybody wanted to talk to him, um, he used to go out into the middle of the sea. Remember, this is up on the border with Scotland, so it's not warm. And he used to be there in the sea, up to his waist, worshipping, and he tried to do it all night. Quite how he survived in the cold, I don't know. But that was his way of getting somewhere quiet to be with God. But it is so important. I think in reflecting on this, I think if I just talk about quietness, I don't give a balance. So this is my, if you like, trying to balance it. Because there are some times as Christians when we should shout, shouldn't we? In celebration, in praise, in glory of anything that's happened, we should shout. Yeah? And sometimes we must not be silent. 
in when things are going on that we don't agree with. We must have our voice heard. This is not about being doormats. But it's about people who, when they speak, have spent that time with God in the secret place. And interesting, when Jesus died on the cross, the fair was torn in two, that was a noise, there was thunder, there was all sorts of noise going on, wasn't there? So actually, the celebration of noise is also important. Number four. This came uh, from what Vanessa was saying, really challenged me a few weeks ago, and it's about a brick phone. Is your phone an issue with you in terms of your having patches of quietness? Is it? Because I know it is with me. And I'm not just talking to the younger generation, because I know some people in the older generation, not mentioning any names, who have every notification turned on and the sound up loud. So you're having a chat with them, and it's going ping, boom, ping, bang, boom. Oh, oh dear, I've got a, um, you know, a message. Oh no, that's, uh, that's nothing to do with me. And you know, it's, it's all of us, isn't it? Because actually, some of the younger generation who've grown up with mobile phones have some really stringent ways in which they make sure it doesn't interrupt them because they've grown up with it. Whereas for myself, who came into it later in life, actually, I'm not always the best at doing that. Many children will say, if there's one thing they want their parents not to do, that would be not to look at their mobile phone so much. Interesting. Just turns it the other way around, doesn't it? I'm sure that happens for grandparents as well. And uh, what I've tried to do every Saturday, and I've failed regularly at it, I haven't got a brick phone, because I, the, the idea of losing all that communication, I just can't do it. But there is a super saver mode for the battery that just has it blank, and it just allows me to do one, two things, to keep up with WhatsApps and to check the cricket, which perhaps I shouldn't do. <laughs> just giving you an insight into my mind on a Saturday. Number five, life is a road. Some of the great uh, Celtish monks, the Bede, Cuthbert, and Aidan, they went back to one of the Irish uh, monks who gave them a lot of their training and teaching, some of which we may not necessarily agree with. But one of the things he said was this, life is not a resting place, life is a road. And what he meant by that, it's not about achievements. It's not about, fantastic, I've done that, I've got that, um, I've, I've managed to get my, my son or daughter to ride their bicycle. Good, I've been successful. I've got that promotion. It's not about that. It's about the road that we are doing as we're on the way to meeting Jesus face to face. It's about our holiness of character. It's about trying to be more like Jesus, to honour him more and more as we go on. It's about being more prayerful day by day because it's a road. We don't want to be looking back and say, oh, well, in those days, I was great, but now, oh, look at me. We want to be those who are moving forward and developing more and more like Jesus. And uh, I think this final one will be fun. And those who are great readers of Revelation, I'm sure, um, will have all sorts of opinions, but I'm going to have a go anyway. Um, I'm not a great commentator on Revelation but I do think there are some real truths in Revelation that have to be unpacked um, in a very simple way. 
And I do know in Revelation there are seven seals that are opened. I don't know what they all mean, and I'm not going to give all sorts of wild ideas of what they could mean today. But I do know that there are seven of them, and the seventh is the last seal. So that's the last part of salvation. That's the very final time. And in Revelation 8.1, it says, When the Lamb, obviously talking about Jesus, opened the seventh seal, the last seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. When all is said and done, when the death and resurrection of Jesus has done all its complete work, when we were all there after Judgment Day, there will be a time of silence. Everything will be silent. It will be perfect silence. There will be that deafening silence for half an hour. And just maybe our times of silence are an echo of that. That one day, it will all be wrapped up. Heaven and earth will be wrapped up. Maybe our time of silence is just an echo, just a foretaste, just a forerunner of that half an hour of silence when Jesus' work, I'm going to say it's completed, but it's completed anyway now, isn't it? We know it's complete, but when that final realisation happens. Well, I hope that was uh, helpful today. I hope it gave you some practical ideas I hope you're not going to go away like Solomon saying, oh, woe is me, I now know I'm awful. But I hope that gives you some ideas. Because as I say, I'm speaking to myself, and perhaps in this sermon I've spoken to myself more times than any other that I've ever shared. Because I actually think, if we can slow down, if we can stop, if we can spend time with Jesus, if we can put him in the highest place, Actually, the rest will come. Yeah, our church will grow. Our friends will become Christians. Jesus will be glorified. And we will see his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.